as has already been expressed this morning, our hearts are breaking for many around us. We are thankful, as John mentioned in his prayer, that no member from Lehman Avenue has lost life, but there are many that have, and there are many here that are hurting that have lost material possessions and things, and there are just many people around us that have, as far as they're concerned, lost everything. And as God's people, we have an opportunity, an opportunity to serve, to help, and to minister to people that are deeply in need. And that's already been happening. Many members here have already been bringing things to help and to assist and ready to roll up their sleeves and be God's hands and feet in the world. Our elders, we're appreciative for them and the mindset they have for Lehman to be involved in relief efforts. And I'm sure there'll be an announcement about that at the conclusion of the service. But let us just be encouraged to do what we can in this time to focus our minds on what would God want us to do. And Jesus lived his life in serving others. And how can we, in a time when people's lives are so fragile, when people think they really have lost everything, how can we remind them that they haven't because they still have God? Because of the events that have transpired, we're going to call an audible from the sermon on John chapter 5 this morning and preach from Psalm 56. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 56. This definition for storm chasing, it is the deliberate pursuit of any severe weather phenomena, the regardless of motive, but mostly for curiosity, venture, scientific investigation, or for news or media coverage. I've never known anybody that's been a storm chaser, but they are out there. People that when storms hit, hurricanes and tornadoes, while most people are running to safety, these individuals for curiosity or just courage or inquisitiveness, confident they are safe and that all is well with them, they want to run into the danger, to see it, to get close up on it, and to enjoy it. I don't know why people do that. I don't know why they do it at all, but this is what I do know. That David was not a man that was a chaotic chaser. He wasn't a man that ran into trouble, and yet it often found him. He was a man after God's own heart, First Samuel 16 and verse 7 says, and yet his life was not free from the hardships and difficulties that come into everyone's life. A poet said, in every life some rain must fall, some days must be dark and dreary. Well, David knew about that. He fought lions and bears, First Samuel 17, 34, his bout with Goliath. And then there were even hardships that came on him, you might say self-inflicted. Because of family turmoil and struggle with his son Absalom, David's life was filled with hardship. But David also turned to God. In your Bible, in Psalm 56, there's a heading above this psalm, which gives us the occasion on which it was written. And it's when David was running from Saul and he found himself in Philistine territory and he was captured by those individuals. And the king Achish of Gad was in that territory and David was fearful for his life. We read about it in 1 Samuel 29, verses 4 and 5. David penned many psalms during this time. And he penned Psalm 56, a psalm of his confidence and trust in God in difficulty and in anguish. We need Psalm 56 because, you see, David was not looking for trouble. David was living his life and yet chaos and difficulty found him. And that happens in our lives. We are often not looking for trouble, not looking for hardship. And yet it comes. And what should we do in times like these? We should do the same thing that David did to be sure no matter what else happens, that one thing is immutable. One thing is unchanging. One thing is dependable. David's on the run from Saul. He's in enemy territory. It seems that everything in his life turned upside down. There is one thing or one person in David's life that is a constant. And that is his relationship with Almighty God. David, six things briefly this morning. 
Psalm 56 that help us to maintain our confidence in God amid when it seems like everything in the world is turned upside down. Psalm 56 helps us. And we want to go through these briefly and then extend the invitation. Number one, David says, in these times, approach the throne of grace. It's right there in the first verse. David says he commands. It's an imperative. Be gracious to me, O God, for many are my adversaries. A man would trample me. Many are my adversaries. They want to devour and destroy David. David cries out for the grace of God and for God's mercy on him. The same cries in Psalm 57 in verse 1, two times, and in Psalm 4 in verse 1. It's a constant cry in the Psalms for God's grace, for God's mercy, for God's help. This idea of mercy or grace means to show pity or compassion in my time of need. And David is in a time of need as he's on the run from Saul and he's surrounded by foreign enemies. He says, God, I really need you to help me, to have pity on me, to see my circumstances and to come to my aid. The first thing we should do if we want to have confidence in God in times of chaos is to reach up to God to help us. You know, the New Testament talks about this in Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. That we should boldly approach the throne time of need, that we might find grace and mercy and help. And this is a time when we should be doing that, looking up to God and saying, God, would you help us, have mercy on us, favor us and pity us and those that surround us? Because it's a time of destitute. It's what Jehoshaphat did in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12 when he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We will look to you to help us. And would you be merciful and gracious to us? In the time when we need you the most. If you think about David's circumstances, this is an alarming thing that David is on the run for his life, surrounded by enemies. And yet he not only prays this prayer, but he has time to write this psalm and many others. What does that say to us? It says that in David's hardship, in his moment of need, he made time to do this. It's tempting in times of difficulty and hardship and chaos to say, you know what, there's just so much going on right now. I really don't have time to pray. I'll get to that later. I've got other things to do. But what David shows us is we have to make the time. In times of difficulty and in times of hardship, prayer is not impossible. It's invaluable. We need to say to ourselves, if I don't have any other conversation today, I must have this one. I need to talk to God. We read about Daniel praying three times. But do you know, in Daniel six and verse 10, it says when he knew the decree was signed, that's right in the turmoil. He turned his heart to God and pray. Luke 22 and verse 44 says Jesus and being in agony, he prayed to God. What we see in those passages is in the times when they needed God the most, when all of the chaos broke out, they said this would be a great time. This is the right time to reach up to God in prayer, to approach the throne of grace, because God delights to help us. In our time of need. Number two. Instead of fear. Three times in this psalm, David says this, but notice verse three. I'm glad that this verse is in the Bible, aren't you? Because David is a realist. David says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. David was afraid. There were things that would make him fearful as he thought about the enemies that were encroaching on him and the difficulties that he was facing. And sometimes when hardships come, we wonder, how's this going to work out? What, what's going to be the future? What's going to what are we running into? And David says he is afraid, but he doesn't end with his fear. He turns to faith. When I'm afraid, David says, I will trust in you. I will rely on God. I'm going to look to the hills from where my help comes. Psalm 27 and verse three says God is one to be trusted in, even in difficult times. And David finds himself doing here, turning from fear to trust and full reliance and dependence on his God. 
He had every reason not to. He had every reason to think that things were not going to go his way. Notice how often his difficulty came. In verse 1, it says it was every day. They were numerous, and they set traps for him. In verse 6, they wanted to destroy him and devour him. In verses 1 and 2, and David says, I'm terrified. I don't know what's coming, but I know who I'll trust in. In times of hardship and in times of chaos, there needs to be a renewed focus, a renewed reliance and dependence on Almighty God. Hebrews 13 and verse 6 says, don't fear, he says, let your hearts be free from covetous and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, David's not being unrealistic and David's not saying that there aren't harsh realities that he's facing. But what David knows is that none of his earthly circumstances stand any chance against his God. And so he throws himself on the mercy of God and then he vows to not let fear reign and have the day. He says, instead, I'm going to put my confidence and trust in what God can do. God can do more than me. God can do more than you. And so I resolve to trust. To put my hands in God's hands, to put my life in God's hands and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I do trust you. Trust does not say to God, God, I've got some great plans and here they are and I hope you work things out my way. Trust says, God, I really want things to work out a certain way. And if it be your will, I pray that they will work out in this way. But if not, you are more infinite and wise and eternal than I will ever be. And I submit to you way. It's what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26 and verse 39, when he says, Lord, if there be any other way, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done because you always know what's best. And I'm leaning on you completely. Psalm 118 and verse six talks about completely trusting and relying on God and who he is. And that's what David did. Instead of fear, instead of cowering and saying, I don't know what we're going to do, what we can do is to say we trust in God and what he can do. Number three, praise God's word. David vowed to praise God's word in God whose word I praise. And then he repeats it again in verse 10, two times in the Lord whose word I praise in God whose word I praise. This is definitely connected to the promises that God had made to be with David. And so he says in a time of chaos, I'm going to go back to the promises that God made to me. I'm going to praise his word, his promises. I'm going to hold them up. All of the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Second Corinthians one and verse 20. And David says, I'm going to praise God for those. Now, research has been done and it's said that 96 percent of people have what they call internal dialogue. That is, they talk to themselves and somebody just said, not me. So let's make that 97 percent. Then there are 25 percent of people that they say engage in what's called self-talk. This is an actual talking out loud. This isn't just internal dialogue. These folks and I would be in that category. They talk out loud about things to themselves. This is the point. Every one of us, especially in times of chaos, we're having dialogue. But we need to make sure that that dialogue includes the word of God. This is the biblical idea of meditation. It's not somewhere up on a mountain with our legs crossed. It is to say meditation biblically. Psalm 1 and verse 2. In the law, the blessed man meditates day and night. That means to have the word of God on his tongue, to mumble it, to say it to himself, and to trust in God. It's tempting in times like these to cast the word of God aside or to allow our minds to be flooded with all the things that we see in the news and all of the despair and to forget We need to praise God in his word. Many people highlight Bible passages and underline passages and circle things that mean a lot to them. And they post them various places 
throughout their homes. These are the times when those passages must rise to the surface in our hearts and in our lips. And people need to hear us saying things from Scripture. People need to hear us reiterating the promises of God. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is good even in the midst of trouble. Nahum 1 and verse 7. God's people are to be his help and his hands and feet in the world. We're here to serve. Matthew 7 and verse 12. We've got to praise God in his word. We need to know it, and then we need to make ourselves say it. We're having internal dialogue, but does that dialogue include what does God's word say? What's my responsibility to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that do rejoice? We rejoice that life has been saved, but we also weep and our hearts break for people that have lost it all. Romans 12 and verse 15. David said, I'm in a difficult spot, but I'm going to hold fast to the word. I'm going to hold fast, God, to your promises because you are faithful and I'm not going to allow your word to escape my memory because I need it now more than I've ever needed it before. To praise God in his word is to say, I'm going to keep these things near and close to my heart. It's one thing to say, I think this is in the Bible somewhere. Or I heard a preacher say once, but it's another thing to be able to open up the word of God and say, no, there's a promise in scripture right here. I know where this passage is and to put it in our hearts and minds and to meditate on it and to allow it to shape us. And give us confidence when everything in the earth gives way. David says, God's word is a treasure. Psalm 19 and verse 7, the law of the Lord is is perfect. They're pure and precious words. Psalm 12 and verse 6, and they're words that we need to praise God in and with as well. Number four, remember God is for you. This may be the most important. There are people that don't have any theological moorings and they're wondering right now, if there is a God and if God does exist, how does he allow things like this to happen? Or where was your God? You're a Christian. Where was your God when all of these things happened, when I lost everything, when I lost my loved ones or maybe even my children? And we need Psalm 56 and verse nine. David sees all of this going on around him. He says, this I know that God is for me. The reality is God is not responsible for the calamity. God is the one that ultimately wants to bring peace and restoration to the world. David had many reasons to believe everybody was against him. He had it coming from his own countrymen as Saul and others persecuted him and then from the Philistines. And David says, I don't know why all of this is going on in my life, but this is one thing that I can trust in. God has not abandoned me. Paul picks up on this in Romans 8 and verse 31. And he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up freely for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul knew that if God is on our side, if God is for us, then it doesn't matter what else we're facing. That's not to diminish or minimize the hardships of life. It's to maximize our view of who God is. God's for me. He's on my side. He's out in front and he's fighting in my behalf. David says, God's for me. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes hardships come and it can feel like maybe this is some payment back for something I've done wrong. Maybe God's punishing me for something. And while it is true that we do reap what we sow and God does punish the wicked, we should not expect to make a correlation between every good or bad thing in our life as if God is trying to get us back for something or even to reward us for something good that we've done. God is a constant in his love and in his steadfast faithfulness. And we need to keep a proper view on who God is, especially in times of chaos. Job was a righteous man, but if he had any fault, this was it. 
in his time of difficulty and in his time of hardship, he felt as if God was against him. And he spent 30 chapters. And yes, he had no clue about the first two chapters. But he spent 30 chapters arguing this one reality as if God was beaming down on him and bringing the hardship that was his. And he had no clue, no idea how much God loved him, how much God complimented him, how much God had faith in him and was rooting for his success. He forgot this principle. God is for you, Job. If there's anybody that's proud of you, anybody who's on your side, anybody who wants you to be a victor, Job, that's almighty God. And in times like these, we need not forget God's for us. He provides opportunities for us to serve, to help people. And his grace shines even in times of difficulty and in times of hardship. Number five, be faithful. David says, I will perform my vows to you. The vows that I've offered, he says, I will render those things to you. Psalm 66 and verse 14, David says, I will perform what I vowed when I was in trouble. Chaos and hardship make people or cause people sometimes to look inwardly and to say things like, you know what, God, if you get me out of this, if you get us out of this circumstance, I promise you, God, I'll be I'll be faith. I know I haven't been all that I should, but now I'm awake and you've got my attention and I promise that I faithful. I'm giving my life back to you. And then things turn over. People forget. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but there's something called jailhouse religion. Have you heard of it? People that are in prison or in jail, they have a lot of time and they often spend a lot of time reading the Bible. And that's a great thing. And I've known people, friends and family that have been in prison and they write and read the Bible. And in their minds, when they get out, they're going to be faithful and dedicated to spiritual and religious things. And with some, it sticks, but with many, it doesn't. Because at the taste of freedom, there's a sort of forgetfulness about all the things that were vowed, all the promises that were made, all the things that they were going to do, all the dedication that was going to be theirs, all the faithfulness that they were going to show. And they forget. David is not in Psalm 56 praying that God would help him and then he'll do some things. He offers his sacrifices even in the valley. And that's a great place to start. David says, even now, right now, I'm going to be faithful and do what I can. I'm going to render sacrifices to you. I'm going to be a faithful servant. We should take stock of our spiritual standing and where we are with God and vow to be faithful. Not if I had, I would do this or when I get this opportunity to say what's right before me, what opportunities are within arm's reach. I'm going to do those things right now. God, I'm going to be faithful with the opportunities that you've given me. I won't postpone faithfulness until I'm back on the mountaintop. Here's what I have. And it's fully yours. David had a lot of reasons to look internally, to think about himself, to think about how he could preserve his life. David says, I won't do that. God, no matter what else is going on, I still owe you. I still owe you what you deserve. And it's right for us to be here today. It's right for us to say, God, the first day of the week is yours and it's yours every week. And it's not that we cast out worldly cares. It's that we lay and say, God, you see our circumstances, you see our hardships and we praise you through those things. And carry us through. The last thing from Psalm 56 that gives us confidence in God, even in times of hardship, is to rehearse the past. David says, have you not delivered my feet from falling? Haven't you delivered me from hardship that I might walk before you, before my God in the light of life? David had been through things before. Think about David and his battle before Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. His fight in the lions and the bears that he tells Saul about in 1 Samuel 17, 34. David's in a hard spot now, but here's one thing that David has. He has a ready recollection of all that God had brought him through before. 
How long would God have had to have been God to have your full confidence and trust that he can bring you through? If God had been God for 15 years, is that enough experience for you and me to say, you know what? I trust you, God. You've got this. You've been at it a long time. What about 20 years? What about 200 years? What if God says I've been God for 2000 years? Or what if he's from everlasting to everlasting? Psalm 90 and verse two. Surely you can dig into your own personal past and you know times when everything seemed like it was out of control. And God in his faithfulness and in his steadfast love and in his omnipotence has seen you through to the other side. Things are rarely as bad as we think they are, or even when they are. God's power rises to the surface and we see him act. David says, you've delivered my feet from stumbling. You've delivered me from falling that I may walk before you in the light of life. Based on all of that back there, I trust you right now. The circumstances suggest he has no other reason to. But he says, God, you and I have history. And based on that history, you've got this. You've got me. And I trust you. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10, Paul says, you've delivered us from so great a death. You do deliver and we trust that you will deliver us again. There's no doubt in the people of God's mind that God is not retired. He's not done helping people. And God's not a rookie. This isn't his first rodeo. God is ready and willing to continue to assist and to be involved in the lives of his people. Psalm 56 is a psalm that David wrote when he was on the run. Like the storm chasers, he wasn't looking for trouble. And yet trouble often found him. Didn't have friends, not much family in this time, but he did have one thing. He had his relationship with Almighty God. And that gave him confidence in the midst of chaos. The Bible's filled with passages like Psalm 56 that help us as God's people to trust and rely and depend on him, but not just for ourselves. To take that confidence that God gives us, to take the comfort, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, that's lavished on us, and then to share it with other people to whom it may be foreign. People who may have no idea about how God is, how good he is, even now. To introduce them to the God that, whether they believe it or not, is for them more than they may even be for themselves. We're going to extend this invitation. Perhaps someone wants to obey the gospel, believing that Jesus is the Christ, ready to turn from sin and to be immersed in water to have their sins forgiven. If we can pray with you or pray for you, I know there have been many prayers prayed and there'll be many in the days to come. There are different things that people are facing physically, but also struggles and difficulties spiritually. And the elders of this congregation, we, they'd be happy to pray with you and to pray for you. As David approached the throne of grace and cried out for God to be merciful, we'd be happy to do that today as well. If we can help you in any way, if there's anything that we can do, this invitation is extended. You can come now as together we stand and as we sing.